0: Uh, This week marks the three-year anniversary of our first Sunday as Redemption Hill Church. Um, Some of you in the room were there. You guys remember that. We started meeting as a team back in 2014, and we were talking about planting a church. And I remember uh, sitting with some of you, and you said, I'm excited about this, and I feel called to be a part of it. But what does it mean to plant a church? And how do you do that? And what does that look like? And we met together and we had those conversations. We prayed together. We planned together. And then it was January 11th that we held our first Sunday morning worship service. And that was in our home. We had about oh, two dozen adults or so and a handful of kids. And we met there for about eight months. Um, there in the living room, and the kids hung out in the basement. We grew together and we grew in number by God's grace. In September of 2015, we moved to a new location. It was the, the train depot, the Union Pacific Depot. And as I look around the room, I remember uh, the Humphreys coming and joining us there. Uh, Tim and Roberta joined us there. The Boyds, I remember you guys coming for the first time. Uh, and, and others as well came and visited there. Um, I remember back in our home, I think the uh, Dee, I know you were there early on when we met in the living room and the Huffman families. I just remember you guys coming and joining with us. We met there at the train station for about seven months. And then in July of 2016, we moved here, uh, which has been where we've met uh, ever since then. Um, And those of you who have been with us for a couple years, you know that it was a year ago in January that we took a huge step as a church. Uh, Last January, we uh, became fully self-sustaining and self-governing. Our sending church, Countryside Baptist Church in Olathe, released us. They said, training wheels are coming off, you guys can do this on your own, and so they Uh, released us with God's blessing, and they continue to pray for us and support us in other ways. But um, since last January, uh, we have been really functioning as an autonomous body, and that was a big step for us. Uh, And here we are a year later, still going. You know, a lot's happened in these first three years. Um, We've tripled in size since we began. We've moved into larger spaces. We've seen people um, saved. We've seen people baptized. We've seen others grow in their faith And God is to be praised and God is to be thanked for all of that. Uh, Nothing that's happened here is possible apart from, as we've sung already this morning, apart from his grace. His grace is what energizes and accomplishes all that has happened here. Nothing's possible apart from his grace, his spirit, the truth of his word. God has been so good. He's been so faithful to us over these last three years. He's done amazing things And he deserves all the glory and all the praise for that. But also, many of you here in this room are to be commended. And you are to be thanked um, for what God has done through you, for what God has provided for this church through you. It's through your eager service. It's through your um, sacrificial giving. It's through your faithful prayers that God has built this church to what it is today. Uh, J.D. Summers did not plant this church. We did this together as a body, and I'm humbled to think how so many of you have given of yourselves uh, to this ministry. But all that being said, with all that God has done and with all that you all have contributed and sacrificed and given, we are not done as a church. That mission that we set out with is not yet complete. The same call that led many of us to join here in Lawrence, Kansas, still rests upon our hearts. The same need that drew us here as Mark just prayed, still exists in this city. And the same mission that we adopted uh, several years ago still compels us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What is this mission? What is our purpose as a church? Why are we here? And where is it that we're headed? What is our goal? We say it often, but I want to focus on it this morning. We exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus. Very simply and concisely, that is our mission. That is why we exist, to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus. Now, we may say that a lot, and and there's some words in there, glorify glorify God and disciples. What does that mean? What do we mean by that? What does it mean to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus? Well, very briefly, and this is not the, the whole focus this morning, but to explain it, it means this. First of all, Glorifying God means that our mission as a church has an upward aim. Our mission has an upward aim. Our ultimate goal in all that we do is that God would be glorified, meaning that he would be pleased and that he would be praised. This is not about us. It's about God. You know, it's one thing to say that, oh, all glory to God you know football players can say that you know pastors can say that it's easy to say that it sounds spiritual it sounds humble but it's another thing to truly mean that it's another thing for your heart and my heart to treasure the glory of god above all else and desire it and seek it above all else psalm 115 verse 1 says not to us o lord not to us but to your name give Glory. We want God to be glorified in our lives individually, like Romans 12.1 says, for our bodies to be a living sacrifice to God, giving him worship. We want God to be glorified in his church, like Ephesians 3.21 says, to you be glory in the church forever, amen, like Paul wrote. We want God to be glorified in the world at large, like Habakkuk 2.14 says, that his glory would be known, it would be spread, and it would shine as far as sea to sea. In everything that we do here, we want God to be made known so that his glory is seen, so that it is praised and enjoyed by as many people as possible. It's about the glory of God. Our mission has an upward aim. That's what we mean by glorifying God. But secondly, how are we going to do that? So our aim is to glorify God, but there's a means by which we're seeking to accomplish that goal. And that is, first of all, by being disciples. Being disciples means our mission has a forward direction. So, glorifying God, it has an upward aim, but being disciples means our mission has a forward direction. We are following Jesus and we're seeking to become more like him. The good news of the gospel, when it's believed, doesn't just inform the mind, it creates followers. It creates followers. To believe in Jesus is to hear his call to discipleship. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We are a people in motion. We're going somewhere. We are on an often difficult but ultimately rewarding journey, a journey that leads to change, a journey that leads to holiness, a journey that leads to maturity and joy. This is God's purpose for us to be conformed to the image of His son. Romans 8:29, those whom He foreknew, he also predestined, he, he planned this out, that we would be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan is to save sinners and make them to be like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that process of change. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we love and obey and follow Jesus... We are becoming like him. That's what we mean by discipleship. We're following Jesus, obeying Jesus, worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, and in the process becoming more and more like Jesus. But that's not all. We glorify God not only by being disciples, but secondly, by making disciples. Making disciples means that our mission has an outward concern. So we have an upward aim. We want God to be glorified, a forward direction. We're going somewhere. We want to follow Jesus and be like him. But we have this outward concern for others around us. We want to help others believe in and follow Jesus. Remember the commission that Christ has given us, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. To be a disciple means embracing our call to make disciples. We have an outward concern that fuels this mission. A true disciple is one who makes disciples. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest example of this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, he writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade others. He's seeking to convince others that Jesus is who he says he is. That's the fear of the Lord. That judgment is coming. But there is hope for salvation through his death and resurrection. Paul says we're seeking to persuade others of this truth. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, just a little further down in that chapter, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen, if you're not a believer this morning, we care about you. And we want to persuade you to believe in Jesus, to come to him in faith, to repent of your sin, and to be reconciled to God. We want to be faithful ambassadors for Christ. We have an outward concern, a love for God that compels us to love others and see them brought to him through faith in Christ. We represent Christ as ambassadors by proclaiming the good news about him in the world. We are to be, as Jesus says, salt and light penetrating the darkness, having an impact, a preserving impact on the world around us. Discipleship starts with evangelism, with proclaiming the gospel, but it doesn't stop there. Our outward concern is not only for the lost, we want them to be saved, but we as individual disciples are to have a concern for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, evangelism is only step one in discipleship. Discipleship continues on. We want to not only lead people to faith in Christ, but our concern for discipleship means we want to lead others into maturity and see others equipped to lead and disciple more. Our our mission is one of multiplication. We want to make disciples who can and do make disciples who can and do make disciples. It is this perpetual mission of multiplication that God has given us. That's what it means to be and make disciples of Jesus. What an amazing privilege that God would use us in our weakness to accomplish his purpose in the world. It's amazing to think that we are instruments in our Redeemer's hands who have been entrusted with this good news, that we have been brought together in the church so that we might offer help to our brothers and sisters, so that we can help each other follow Jesus, so that we can stir up one another, like Hebrews says, to love and good works, so that we can grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the way in which God is magnifying his glory today in the world it's through his church it's through the church god uses the church to bring glory to his name by calling out disciples who follow jesus and make disciples that's how god's advancing his purposes in this world there's many other good organizations and good causes and good groups and good concerns in the world but only the church can claim the promise of Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Why will God build his church? Because this is his chosen means to advance his purposes of redemption in the world. God is using his church. This is what we are all about. This is what God desires for us to do. We exist here at Redemption Hill Church to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus. We've talked about that before. And we're going to keep talking about it because we want the, 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 the north needle on our compass to stay oriented in the proper direction. We don't want to veer off course. So you may ask the question, how do we stay on track? We've talked about this before. We talk about it regularly. And we understand this. We understand that, that this is God's call for us as a church. But how do we stay on track? How do we make sure that we carry this mission out? How do we, how do we be effective and faithful in glorifying God by being and making disciples of Jesus. Well, as we enter a new year, 2018, we're going to face unknown challenges. We're going to enjoy unforeseen successes. We're going to deal with unknown struggles ahead. But I want to share with you four keys To missional faithfulness that will help us to navigate the ups and the downs of life together as a church. And these are simple and we're going to be all over the place. We're kind of departing from our typical process of working through one text this morning. But I just want to share with you four simple keys to missional faithfulness. Number one, number one, if we're going to be faithful to our mission, we must first of all be guided by scripture. We must be guided by scripture. You see, here's the bottom line. Our mission is not devised by us. We didn't invent this. We didn't come up with this. It's not like we sat around in some little marketing meeting and said, what's a catchy phrase we can use to put on a business card? No, this mission statement is drawn from Scripture. It has been declared by God. It's just the way that we've chosen to try to distill it all down into one sentence. So really what this means is our option as a church is either obedience or disobedience. But our mission is guided by and depends on the clear teaching of Scripture. We read earlier from Matthew 28. I'll read it again. Jesus came and says to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." You know, there's a lot of good causes in the world, but the church has one mission. There are many good things that the church does and can do, but there is one thing that the church must do, and that is remain faithful to this crystal clear call that God has given us. We must look to the word of God as our highest authority. We must look to the word of God for guidance, for counsel, for light, and for direction. It's the Bible that has to have the final word and the first word and every word in the middle. The Bible is our ultimate guidance. This is why as a church, we want to preach and sing and pray and read and bleed the scriptures. I don't have great ideas and you don't either, but God does. So let's talk about that, okay? We want the Bible to be at the center of our church's proclamation. We must never allow our church to to become more sensitive to culture than to Christ. How do we accomplish that? By keeping the concerns of scripture front and center. We must never be shaped more by a certain leader's personality or gifting than we are shaped by the life-giving truth of the word. How do we accomplish that? By making everything not about a talented musician or a preacher or a small group leader or some thing that's going on in the body. We want to make everything about the word. We must must never become more respectful of the world's wisdom than we are of eternal truth, the truth of God's self-revelation. How do we do this? By listening more to what God says than what the world has to say. We need to maintain a devotion to Scripture as individuals. Many of you have made New Year's resolutions this year. I hope that among those, if you're the kind of person to make resolutions, I hope that your aim this year is to engage more deeply with God's word in the scripture. We need to be guided by scripture in our families. Husbands, fathers, as you lead your families, are your priorities and ambitions and goals shaped by the scriptures or by something else? Friends, is your story, the way you understand your past and your plans for your future, is your story shaped and framed by the larger story of scripture? by God's narrative? Or have you bought into the world's values of writing your own story, creating your own identity, accomplishing your own goals and dreams? Do you find your meaning and significance in God's story or in something else? (coughs) 2 Peter 1.19 says, it's amazing, Peter's talking about his experience as he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John and he sees the glory of Christ revealed and he hears the voice of the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. And Peter says this, he says, and in light of all that, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He says, we have something better even than that in the scriptures. And he says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word that has been more fully confirmed than even the amazing visions of glory that some of those apostles experienced in the New Testament. We have the God-breathed, fully inspired word in the scriptures. If we are going to be faithful to our mission of seeking to glorify God by being and making disciples, we must be guided by Scripture. But secondly, if we're going to be faithful in our mission, we must be focused on Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. As he defends and describes his ministry to the Corinthians, he says this, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What was the defining mark of Paul's ministry? What was the constant theme of his preaching? What was the never-ending chorus to everything he said, everything that he did, all of his counsel, all of his instruction, his doctrinal teachings and systems, it was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the heartbeat of everything that he did. And it should be no different for us. In Colossians 1:15, Paul says of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, That in your life, that in your marriage, that in your career, that in your friendships, that in your hobbies, that in your church, that in God's kingdom, he might be preeminent. God's plan is for Jesus Christ to be highly exalted, Philippians 2 tells us, so that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we want to glorify God, if we want to be and make disciples of Jesus, then Jesus Christ must be preeminent in all that we do. The key to Paul's ministry was a radical focus and emphasis on Jesus, on the person of Jesus, on the work of Jesus in his death and resurrection. To focus on Jesus means, among other things, that the gospel will always be at the center of everything we do. You know, you wanna know the reason why some churches Fail to bring glory to God. Why some churches fail to make disciples. They may even have a lot of people, but they're failing to accomplish this mission. It's because Jesus Christ has been marginalized. It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ has become of second importance to other things. You see, Jesus is the one who reveals the glory of God to us, He is the King of kings. You can't put Him on the sidelines. He expects to be first and nothing less. You see, Jesus is the one who rescues sinners. He is our savior. What hope do we have of offering people salvation and seeing lives transformed if we're not preaching Christ? We can't change anyone. Jesus is the one that we are to follow. He is our example. How do we expect to become mature, to become become holy, to become strong in our faith if we're not seeking and following and focusing on Jesus Christ? You see, the moment that our methods or, or, or our doctrinal systems or, or whatever else, other goals or plans or values, when, the moment they become central rather than Christ and him crucified, we've gotten off course. Our compass is crooked and we're not going to be faithful or effective in carrying out the mission that God has given us. You see, Christless Christianity is an oxymoron. It's powerless. It cannot save people. It cannot change people. Christless Christianity is exhausting. You know why it's exhausting? Because it places all the emphasis and all the weight of carrying out God's plans on you. You're doing it by yourself. It puts all the pressure to perform on you and on me rather than celebrating what Christ has already accomplished in his death and resurrection and what he promises to accomplish in the building of his church. Christless Christianity does not and cannot glorify God because it neglects and forgets the revelation of God's glory and grace in Jesus. Because Christless Christianity ignores the outworking of God's plan for redemption and it ignores the exaltation of his Christ, his anointed, his Messiah. Friends, if we would glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus then we must be ever and always focused on Jesus. Third, if we want to be and make disciples of Jesus and bring glory to God, not only must we be guided by Scripture, not only must we focus on Jesus, but third, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must be empowered by the Spirit. You see, we can't glorify God in our ministry to others if we try to do all this in our own strength. It's too much. You can't do it. And even if you could, God would get in your way because he wants to get the glory. He doesn't want to share it with anyone else. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Speaking of the ministry that he and the other apostles had been given, he writes, we have this treasure in jars of clay, breakable, humble, common, jars of clay. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If we ever forget that, if we ever think that we've got it right and that we can do this and that we're gonna grit our teeth and just try harder and make it happen and grow this church and reach Lawrence and transform the world, guess what? we will fall flat on our face. We will be exhausted. We will be discouraged. And we'll lose heart. Because this mission is too big for you and me to carry it out in our own strength. The reality is we cannot do any of it apart from the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. We can't, first of all, reach the lost without the help of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. Nicodemus says, okay, how do I do that? Jesus answers with somewhat of an enigma. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a miracle of God when a person is born again. And it's because the Spirit of God has blown on their hearts to open their eyes, to create new life, to draw them to himself. No one ever gets saved apart from this miraculous, gracious work of the Holy Spirit. So do you think we can reach the lost without the Holy Spirit? Do you think we can argue someone into the kingdom and persuade them and convince them without the help of the Holy Spirit? It's impossible. It's impossible. John 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. No help at all. If we would reach the lost, we must be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.4 says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God saves people because of the work of Christ through the actions of the Holy Spirit in applying that redemption to them, that mercy, that washing, that atonement, it's brought to bear in our lives by the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4: such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Paul says, I know we're weak, I know that I'm the chief of sinners, I know that people are spiritually dead and blind and they don't care for the gospel. It's foolishness or a stumbling block. He says, but here's our confidence. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not by the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives Life. You see, Paul is confident because he knows that this gospel he is preaching, this ministry that he has been given, is a ministry of the new covenant. A ministry that is energized by and accomplished by the Holy Spirit. That's why he's confident. And that's why you and I can be confident as well. Because when we preach the message that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, and as we are dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit we can expect to see the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in changing hearts and changing lives. You want to make disciples? I hope you do. If that's the case, we must be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Not only can we not help others without God's help, but the reality is you can't grow yourself and I can't grow by myself as a disciple apart from the Holy Spirit. Remember, we want to reach others and make disciples, but we're also called to be disciples. You and I are called to follow Christ, to lay aside every weight and sin that besets us, to grow in knowledge and in wisdom, to become increasingly holy and mature and strong in our faith. How are we going to do that? You can grit your teeth and try as hard as you like but you can't grow and I can't grow apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. I read this earlier but I'll read it again. 2 Corinthians 3:18. Paul says, "We all with unveiled face, the blinders have been removed, beholding the glory of the Lord as we gaze upon Christ. Paul says, "We are being transformed. We're being changed into the same image, the image of Christ. He says, from one degree of glory to another, for this, referring to this change, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This transformation, this this sight of and apprehension of the glory of God in the face of Christ produces change in us, and all of that happens because of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to grow this year? Do you want to be more like Jesus this year? Do you want to have increasing victory over sin? to have a deeper understanding of the word, to have an increased wisdom and a passion for God, seek the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because it's accomplished by him. Friends, this is why prayer and humility and dependence on the Spirit are essential. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. When the Holy Spirit is at work, sinners are saved. And become saints. When the Holy Spirit is at work, immature and weak believers become strong and holy. This is what God does through his spirit. Not only is this truth extremely humbling, it's also an incredible comfort. God can and God will use weak and simple people like us. If you feel intimidated by this call to be and make disciples of Jesus, know this, that God is with us and through him all things are possible. The Spirit dwells in us and supplies for us all the necessary power to do everything he's called us to do. Go read the book of Acts sometime. It's amazing what happens there. At the end of the Gospels, we find the disciples afraid and hiding in a room. And then the early chapters of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down. And these men are changed. They're confident. They're full of courage, and they turn the world upside down with their preaching. What's the difference? What's the difference between the end of of Mark and Luke and Matthew and the beginning of Acts? The only difference is the presence of the Holy Spirit, because God is in them and with them, energizing and equipping and helping them to do everything that he has called them to do. Friends, you and I have that same spirit. The same spirit that came down at Pentecost. The same spirit that turned Peter from a denier into one who declared the gospel to the face of the very ones who crucified Jesus. You and I have that spirit. Rely on him. Depend on him. If we would glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus, we must be guided by the word, we must be focused on Christ, and we must be dependent on the Holy Spirit. We must seek him in prayer We must listen to his voice as we open the word. We must be submitted to his leading in our lives as we step out in faith and obedience. And then fourth, and finally, if we would glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus, we must be engaged in relationships. We must be engaged in relationships. You see, the gospel creates followers. It creates disciples. But the gospel creates more than just individual followers. The gospel creates a new community, a new family, a new group of people called the church. This new community has an identity as the body of Christ. We have a new mission given to us by our Savior. We follow Jesus together. We grow in Christ's likeness together. We seek to carry out this mission of multiplication together. The church is designed to be a community. And if we are isolated, disjointed, and separated, we will not be very successful in reaching the lost or helping each other become more like Christ. You see, the church is designed to be a community. The the metaphors of Scripture tell us this. We're supposed to be a body. Bodies, when healthy, are connected. Bodies, when disconnected, are unhealthy, even dead. (laughs) All right, the, the metaphors of the New Testament show us that we are designed to be connected together, interdependent on one another, cooperating and helping and serving to accomplish, to accomplish a unified goal. We're supposed to be not only a body, we're supposed to be a family. Families that are disconnected and broken bring pain and heartache. They don't function the way God intended, but families that are connected and together That's what God's design is. That's what we are to be. We are the children of God. We are to be the family of God. We are brothers and sisters adopted into God's family through Christ. We are not only to be a body and a family, we're described as a building in the New Testament. We are a living spiritual temple. The Holy Spirit is here because we are like living stones, Peter tells us, that are all built together. A building that's disconnected and sprawled out all over the place is either in the process of being built, it's not yet a building, or it's fallen apart and it's being destroyed. The metaphors in the New Testament show us that we are designed to be connected together, relationally. The church is designed to accomplish this mission as a community. If you're intimidated by the prospect of being and making disciples, I have good news for you. Not only does God provide for you the Holy Spirit to energize and empower you, He also gives you the church. You don't have to grow as a disciple and make disciples all by yourself. We're in this together. It's one of the things I love about team sports is that you need all the pieces working together in order to accomplish the goal. Sometimes you're missing a key player and the team loses because they're missing that one ingredient that's so central to their part. I was watching the Chiefs game yesterday. Travis Kelsey gets a concussion and then they lose. You can't help but wonder how would it have been different? If Eric Berry was playing defense, if Travis Kelsey is catching passes on third down, if if they had Chris Conley as another option, you know, I'm just thinking through all this like, man, that would have helped so much. Friends, we as the church can only accomplish our mission if we do it together. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And perhaps some of you are actually key players who have gifts and talents that are untapped because you've been on the sideline. We can't do this without everyone being involved. The church is designed to accomplish its mission as a community. And it's really in the context of relationships that this mission will be carried out. We build each other up. I love how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Sounds a lot like discipleship, doesn't it? Each member, when it's working properly, building each other up, the body building itself up in love. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen gives us this piece of wisdom. It says, iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. The reason maybe some of us are dull is because we're disconnected from others. We're lacking that mutual sharpening. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And isn't that our aim? That in everything, God would be glorified? He says, in order to do this, each one of you must use your gift. God's given each of you a unique gift that must be used to the max. Whatever your gift is, go all out. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. If you serve, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, we encourage each other, we build one another up, and it's together that we reach the world. We are far more effective together than we are alone. Listen to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? It's like my wife's life verse right there. And in verse 12, he says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. If you're getting into a fight, you want backup, right? You want somebody to be there with you. And he concludes, he says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There is strength that comes when we reinforce one another's weaknesses and cooperate together and are connected. If we are going to glorify God by being and making disciples, we must be engaged in relationships. We must pursue relationships. It's hard. It's messy. It's disappointing. Some of you in here want this more than anything else in the world, but it's not coming at the speed or in the way that maybe you hoped. Some of you in here are maybe afraid of relationships because you don't really want to be known. You don't really want to be seen. Some of you don't really care because maybe you don't really love others, and that's a spiritual need that needs to change and some of you want this and you're trying but it's hard and you feel weak and you know that your own sin sometimes is counterproductive this is not a simple thing this is a lifelong challenge to grow in relationship with one another but it's a worthwhile challenge and without relationships without building relationships with each other and without building relationships with the lost people outside this room we're not going to effect, effectively accomplish our mission I think for some of us, pursuing relationships in here is easier, and it's safer, and we want to be hunkered down and kind of be the safe place where we can escape from all of the world, and the church is that to some extent, but the salt needs to get out of the shaker. We need to be cultivating and developing relationships with people in the world, people who are lost. How else will they ever know of Jesus? And how else will they be convinced that they need Jesus and that Jesus is enough and that the gospel truly does transform lives until they see how he's transformed yours, until they have a front row seat to watch you grow, to watch you repent, to watch you suffer well, to watch you love the way that Christ loves. How will they know? God is using us as his ambassadors to the world. But if an ambassador sits in his office in the embassy all day, every day and never goes out to do his job, he's not going to be very effective. We need relationships in the church to grow. We need relationships outside the church in order to spread the gospel. And we do this better together than we do as individuals. Jesus gave the commission to the disciples. If you look at the Greek text of Matthew 28, he says, you, plural, go. And you, plural, make disciples. You, plural, baptize them and teach them. And I will be with you, plural, all of you, to the end of the age. We have this promise from God that he will be with us. Our mission is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus, and this will not happen if we are not guided by scripture. It cannot happen if we are not focused on Christ. It cannot happen if we're not dependent on the Holy Spirit, and it will not happen apart from you and I engaging and pursuing relationships. This is essential to us carrying out our mission. So I want to ask you a question this morning, just for application purposes. Ask yourself this question. How might God use you to further his mission this year? How might God use you to glorify himself? How might God use you to help others follow Christ? How might God use you this year To help others understand and believe the gospel. How can you submit to him, obey him, and participate in his purposes for his church this year? It's a good question at the beginning of the year to ask yourself. Some of you perhaps have been sitting on the sidelines. Some of you perhaps have been in the game and on the field, but you've been running a different play than everybody else. And so maybe you need to kind of jump on board and say, okay, refocus. This is why we're here. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And perhaps some of you have been giving yourself fully to this, and you're like, J.D., this is what I want, and I'm trying, and I almost feel discouraged because I feel like you're harping on it this morning. If that's you this morning, be encouraged. Be encouraged that you don't have to do this alone, that the Holy Spirit is able. And, and, and if that's you, if you say, I've been doing everything in my power, I'm trying, how can God use me to further his mission? I would encourage you, keep it up. So many of you in this room are so faithful. And it's so encouraging for me as a pastor to see you serve. I want to blow wind in your sails and say, keep at it, keep going, don't quit, and pray. Pray that God would sustain your efforts and pray that God would raise up others and place a burden on the hearts of others and encourage and equip others so that, so that more can be added to the ranks of those who are faithfully seeking to carry this mission out. But I want all of us to think this morning, how might God use us to further his mission this year? Perhaps you're in need of a fresh reminder of the mission this morning. Perhaps you're in need of a renewed commitment to the scriptures. Perhaps you're in need this morning of a renewed focus on Christ to put him back at the center of your life. Perhaps you're in need this morning of a renewed dependence on the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been trying hard, but trying in your own strength. Perhaps you're in need this morning of a new commitment to relationships perhaps within the church, perhaps outside the church. How might God use you to further his mission this year? I just wanted to encourage you all, don't let your New Year's resolution be too small. Don't let it be small. You know, striving for personal improvement for the sake of personal improvement is too small of a goal. Some of you have perhaps financial goals this year, health goals this year, family goals this year, um, academic goals, professional goals, Maybe you have different goals. That's great. I'm all for that. It's good to, to, to be disciplined and you know, set goals of things we want to accomplish. But I want to encourage you, don't let your resolutions be too small. Don't merely seek personal improvement. Striving for growth and change, not just for the sake of your own improvement, but because you know that you're part of a larger story. Seeking growth and change in your life for the sake of the church, for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of his kingdom, his mission, that is something that is worth our holy efforts. That is something that is worth holy blood and sweat and tears. Change is hard, but it's worth it. Don't let your resolutions be too small. How might God use you to further the mission of his church this year? Let's resolve together to live for more than personal resolutions. You know, success in small personal resolutions is matched by a small reward. But the joy and reward that comes when God's magnificent plans that are bigger than us, when those plans are accomplished through us, the joy and the reward in that, that is glorious, that is lasting, that is deeper and sweeter and stronger than any other goal you could attain, any other resolution you could possibly make and keep. And I wanna invite you to participate in that this year because this is glorious. It brings glory to God. It brings joy to God's people and it brings life and light to a world that is dying, a world that is trapped in darkness. You and I have tasted and seen how good the Lord is. If you're a believer this morning, we are called to share that and we're called to grow in that together. Let's freshly commit. It's been three years of kind of doing church together. Let's resolve together to freshly commit ourselves to this mission. This mission that is drawn from scripture, this mission that is focused on Christ, this mission that depends on the power of the Holy Spirit, this mission that we accomplish together as a community so that God may be glorified and given the honor and praise that he deserves. Lord, as we bow our heads this morning and remember uh, what you've done over the past three years, we consider what you've taught us. We consider how we've grown. We consider how this little church has grown. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you. You deserve all the glory, not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. But Father, we desire more We are eager to see your name made known here in this city through us. We are eager to see your glory reflected in the hearts of people. Lord, we ask that you would do even more in us and through us for the sake of your glory. Lord, I thank you for the people in this room and others who are not in this room who have sacrificed and served and given so much. Lord, I'm humbled to think of the incredible steps of faith that many have taken. I'm humbled by the sacrifice and the service, the love, the prayer, the labor of so many. I praise you for that. It's such a gift and a blessing, but Lord, we ask you for more. I ask God that you would freshly energize our hearts to continue serving and sacrificing. Give us a hunger for your word, an eagerness to see your name made known. Give us a burden for the lost, and a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask that you would use us, Lord, to do more. I pray that you would give us a renewed focus this morning, that you would increase our dependence on your Holy Spirit, increase our commitment to your word, increase our zeal for Christ and our zeal for the gospel to go forth, that we might see your name glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.